Leaders have a responsibility to share those stories because that gives your employees permission to share their stories and be more human in the way they communicate. What we don't want is lots of robots all sharing the same content and, you know, and becoming a massive marketing megaphone for the organization. That is not what advocacy is about. Hello and welcome to Masters of Comms, the podcast for transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. In the next episode, our guest will share her recommendations on how to effectively engage and scale executive thought leadership. I'm Lamar Williams, host of Masters of Comms, as well as head of partnerships at Sociable. And today I'm accompanied by our guest, the CEO of Tribal Impact, Sarah Goodall. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to Masters of Comms. Hello, Lamar. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to have you. Sarah, would you mind taking a minute just uh, to tell us who you are? Yes, of course. So my name is Sarah and I'm the CEO and founder of an organization called Tribal Impact. Uh, And I'll tell you a little bit more about them at the moment. But my background is marketing. I've always worked in marketing in the tech sector, working for organizations like IBM, Hitachi, uh, and most recently SAP. But I left there in 2015 and set up uh, Tribal Impact. Great. And tell us who Tribal Impact is. We are a professional services and training organization, and we specialize in activating employee voices on social media. So we focus on B2B organizations only because they typically have a human to human sales process, which is longer, more complex. But we support organizations across lots of different industries, including manufacturing, legal, telecommunications, IT service organizations, and we help activate employees on platforms like LinkedIn or uh, Twitter and other social platforms. Fantastic. And so Sarah, really jump right in. Something that we've all become accustomed to is how executives have a unique power on driving a company's narrative, which can have an enormous impact on its reputation. And with hybrid working environments, we see that employees have a desire and even an expectation to hear from their leadership on social media. Although the big subject that we have is how to build a culture of leadership advocacy within an organization. So Sarah, you've worked with many global organizations And one of the challenges that they've confronted, which you've helped them to overcome, is engaging executive leadership in the construction of their corporate brand reputations, alongside showing the importance of being an advocate on social media. My question for you is whether you agree with this narrative surrounding an executive's impact on their company. And additionally, what have you identified as some of the key challenges that leaders face when addressing their own advocacy on social media? It's a great point. And I do agree, actually, with the statement. And the reason for that is hybrid working has created a different kind of leadership environment. When people go into the office, when we used to go into the office pre-pandemic, leaders could walk the floors, they were physically visible, you'd host town halls, people would come watch, they'd broadcast it live. But that doesn't happen anymore because people are going into the office on different days, different times. Leaders are less physically visible and travel has been restricted in many cases due to the economy. So how do you get leadership visibility when you have all these constraints? 
And this is where activating leaders on platforms like LinkedIn is absolutely critical because when they're not physically there, they need to still be there. They need to still be visible. And there is an expectation. Employees do expect it. And not just your existing employees, but your future employees. And a lot of leaders don't even think about that. You know, we're in a bit, we're still in a a recruitment crisis where we can't get enough talent or enough of the good fit talent into the organization. If you want to develop this leadership culture, you really need to think about how you activate leaders in this hybrid environment where they can be in front of employees and future employees on a more consistent basis. You did also talk a little bit about the challenges. Most often, what I hear from organizations is time. I don't have time. I just don't have time. Can someone manage this for me? It's a huge mistake. And time, that tells me when I hear that, I was going to say excuse, but I know I am one lead. I know what it is to be time constrained. I have three kids and I run a business. I know what that is to be time constrained, but it tells me you don't see the value. Well, that's what we're hearing is that you don't see the value that you'll get from it. And that is the key part. And I think when it comes to activating leaders, when we work with organizations, what we tend to do is we try to understand which, what they're trying to achieve from it and relate the impact they will experience back to their role. So for example, if you're in a marketing leadership role as CMO, then what is it that you're trying to do as a result of your role? And then tie the value impact back to that. If you're in a CFO, what's the value impact of your role? And then try and communicate being on LinkedIn and being present, how that will do it. A great example is I I worked with an executive in a chemical manufacturing company and his sole goal was to recruit talent in Asia. He said, I've got a real talent problem. I cannot get enough people. I cannot get enough applications. And I was like, okay, if that's your goal, this is what we need to do. Here's your content strategy. Let's get a good consistent format going. And he actually said after six months, he said, I have more than enough applicants now because we did a very focused approach based on the goal that he wanted to achieve. And he he achieved that goal. And he's since actually been promoted into other roles. So that's a good example is like really understand what the leadership goal is before you try and activate them on social, because then you can try and you can communicate the value in a language they will understand. It's interesting that you say that, that you can activate it through the leadership's goal. But a follow up question may be, what type of impact can a social leadership advocacy program have on company culture or brand? Yeah, it can have a huge impact because culture is felt. It cannot be written down in a handbook, on a presentation slide, delivered in a town hall. It needs to be felt over time. It's one of those mystical things which really needs to be woven into the fabric of everything the organization does every day. And it starts with leadership behavior. And how a leader behaves gives not permission, but it gives inspiration to employees to follow suit. So if an, if a leader is active on social, if they're sharing content, if they're communicating their value through social and, and to their ambition, then it shows what good looks like and it gives employees a great thing to follow. I, I was just thinking actually about Jeff Abbott's Vanti. He's amazing at this. Go check him out on LinkedIn. I mean, and, and there's I did a recording with him actually and the way he talked about his role 
role as a servant leader is about turning up and serving my employees every day. He said, every day I have to turn up and prove that I'm worthy of this role as a CEO. And he said he sees his present on LinkedIn as a key enabler for that, to be able to communicate with his employees around the world every week, every day through the behavior that, that he has. So I think when you think about it like that, it absolutely can impact culture through the way of, through the behavior, social behaviors of a leader. So yeah, I completely understand. But how can CEOs use platforms like LinkedIn to build trust and credibility with employees? And in turn, can the fact that CEOs start using leadership advocacy trickle down to the public sphere? Yeah, that's a great question. I absolutely believe that a leadership presence on platforms like LinkedIn can help build trust and credibility because what it does is it, and it's quite fearful for some leaders, this, right? And this is a potentially another challenge and a barrier. Some leaders, they're worried about the exposure that they'll suddenly get because what you're doing is you're making them transparent and accessible for everyone, not just employees, but for customers as well and future customers. So it could come with an element of risk, which is what a perceived risk. But you also, as an organization, you send a message by not having your leaders active on social media. And there are some organizations even today where their CEOs don't even have a presence on LinkedIn, let alone an active presence. And that in itself sends a message. I think for me, it's about looking at the way your organization listens to customers and employees. And if you're not showing a as a leader that you're in touch with that, you to some extent, you've kind of got your hands over your ears and it's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's better that you do hear it. In fact, it's better that you hear it internally uh, rather than externally, but you really need to have an ear out externally on social, listening to your customers, listening to what your employees are doing. This in turn helps build your credibility because it shows you're listening. And as a leader, you do need to listen. You need to understand what's happening in the world around you. Um, not just what's happening, you know, in your calendar this week. And and I'm not saying that's how leaders operate, but connecting your leaders to external feedback that's happening within your employee community, but also in the, in the public sphere with customers and partners and the partner ecosystem is key if you want to build trust and credibility with your ecosystem and your stakeholders. And so in that sense, it absolutely does impact public perception because it shows that you are open, you're transparent, you're accessible, you don't have a, a wall of gatekeepers around you only telling you what you want to hear. Um, do you know what I mean? And that, that, like I said, I'll come back to the challenge. That could be quite fe- fearful for some leaders. They, they'd rather not take that step for fear of what they will see on their comments. But this is where handholding, confidence building can really help because we've worked with some leaders where, you know, they've come back to us and said, oh, I've had this comment put on that post that I put out and I'm not quite sure how to respond to that. And this is where you really need to be working with your leaders inside out really to build that confidence and handhold their presence on social. Yeah. So inspiring stories are fantastic and they really help a leadership advocacy program. So when defining the structure of your strategy, what are some of the initial pillars that leadership should put in place prior to communicating on social channels? And once that structure is in place, how often should leaders actually be communicating? Yeah, this is a great question because too often leaders 
artists sort of launched onto social and they become really another marketing mouthpiece, which is not the way to do it. Any professional that's active on social, you really need to build a content strategy that's going to work for them for the long term. And I'll come on to frequency of posting in a second, but a content strategy, I always, we what we do when we work with leaders, we, we talk about three key pillars. Sometimes it's four, but generally three works quite well. So as a leader, you need to think about content that resonates to these three areas. The first one is you in, and the role that you're in. So content that you publish, promote, talk about that relates to the role that you're in. So if you're in a CEO, you'll be talking about maybe earnings, uh, shareholder reports. You'll be talking about maybe traveling, launching new manufacturing plants, new offices. You know, th- this is you as the le- the role that you're in and your responsibility representing the company and the future and the vision of the company. For a CFO, it might be different. For a CMO, it might be different. The second content pillar, I would say, is you the leader. So this is not you the role. This is you and your leadership style. And, you know, quite often leaders will be reading things like from MIT Sloan, HBR, Forbes. They'll be inspired by articles about team productivity, motivations, cultural uh, research. You know, this is about you the leader and understanding your leadership style. And this is the pillar actually that will attract your future talent. Because if you're talking about these kind of topics, your future talent will be thinking, I want to work with somebody who believes in that and thinks like that and communicates like that. So that's the second topic. The third one is you and your passions. Now, for some people that might be, I know someone at Microsoft actually, who he loves sport. So his role in Microsoft as a a technology person, and then he, you know, he relates that back to Wimbledon and technology and how they use it to do performance and Formula One. And so he loves that. So that, that brings his passion in. From my example, I have a daughter who's autistic and another one who's dyslexic. They're personal passion topics for me that I know that we need to talk about neurodivergency in the in the workforce. So what is your passion topic that you want to include? So there are your three pillars, the role, you the role, you the leader, you the passion topic. You talked about frequency and consistency. I, I would always say it's really important. It depends where you're starting from as a leader. Don't go into zero to 100 mile an hour straight away. I, I've worked with some organizations where communication professionals, they, they said, right, we're going to get this CEO online. We want them doing a LinkedIn live in a few weeks time. We're going to do blogs every week. And I'm like, oh, you've got to slow down. This person has not posted anything for 12 months. You can't rush them into techniques and ways to communicate when they're not familiar with just some of the basic things. So you've got to run at their pace. So go really establish the comfort level of the of the leader today and where their confidence level is at and then move with them. And we have structured programs that take them on that journey. So you build confidence over time and it's better to post once a month if you can keep it up rather than once a week for two weeks and then do nothing for another six months. So consistency, comfort and confidence are the three things that I would think about when activating leaders on social. Those are great pillars to have in your back pocket. I would say, once you have all those pillars installed, how can CEOs encourage employees to actively participate in advocacy efforts and make their voices heard? And maybe what are some of the key messages that CEOs should be communicating to these audiences? 
Another great example of this uh, is B- Bill McDermott from ServiceNow. He's the CEO of ServiceNow. I've experienced this firsthand. Bill is brilliant at doing, is listening and engaging with employees on LinkedIn. He doesn't do it very often, but just by the fact that he does it shows that he's listening to his employee community. And sometimes he, you know, I think I'm sure he left a comment against somebody who had a work anniversary at ServiceNow and he left a little comment and it was just such a great, it leaves such a great impression on employees when CEOs bother to do that. Um, and this actually happened when I worked at SAP years and years ago, where Bill left a comment on one of my posts. And he just demonstrates this behavior so well that he is an act, it is him, and he's actively listening and engaging on a public platform with his own employee community. I mean, how, how cool is that? Paul, leading by example. Uh, really, it comes back to the culture conversation that we had earlier. This is the sort of thing that needs to be felt. Uh, you cannot tell people to be more active on social. We've seen it time and time again. The impact on social selling and employee advocacy programs is raised higher. You know, more employees are more active when their leaders are part of that. It needs to be felt. You can tell social sellers to be more active on social, but unless their sales leaders are active too, they won't do it. They'll lead by example. They will take inspiration from people that are already doing this. For me, it's cultural. It needs to be felt. You can't direct people. You can't make it mandatory. You can't put it into KPIs. You can't put it into performance metrics. It's a behavioral thing that will happen over time. It's a change management process. Another thing though that leaders really ought to do. And I, I I think I say this, but I think they have a responsibility to do it is to share stories, share stories. I've got a great example from a CEO of a telecommunications company, and he has worked at that company for over 25 years. And he shared that story of growing up through the ranks. I mean, he was right at the start, he was an engineer and he's grown through the company and is now the CEO. Sharing that story in a blog is inspirational, not just to your existing employees, but actually to your future employees. And leaders have a responsibility to share those stories because that gives your employees permission to share their stories and be more human in the way they communicate. What we don't want is lots of robots all sharing the same content and, you know, and becoming a massive marketing megaphone for the organization. That is not what advocacy is about. It's about getting the collective voices all singing from their own hymn sheet. But actually, you know, as a, as a unified organization, it just sounds wonderful and in tune because that's what culture is. It's the collective voice of all your employees singing together and singing a beautiful tune, but they've all got their own parts to play. Completely agree. Completely agree with that. Everyone singing to the same tune, but having that collective voice and not the divergence that we may see. But with that, we're always in need of some form of measurement to know what's working and what isn't. So are there ways that you would recommend measuring the activities of a leadership advocacy program and what KPIs should be put in place to know that what has been communicating is going to have an ROI? There are a couple of things that I would say there's quite sort of basic metrics. So when you're looking at activating your your leaders and C-suite on social, there are some metrics that you need to keep an eye on. Things like follow accounts, network counts, looking at engagements per post. So you're looking at engagement per post share ratio. So they're the more quantitative metrics, the sort of day-to-day things to keep an eye on to check that they're sort of increasing. But you should also look at qualitative. So look at the kind of comments, who's commenting, who's 
engaging with posts. So don't ignore those because they're just as important. I have seen examples where leaders don't reply to comments and that's such a mistake. They absolutely should do that. I mean, I've seen leaders just liking replies to comments. If you don't reply to people who have bothered to leave a response to your post, that's almost like being in a room talking to someone and then they just, you know, it's like, yeah, talk to me, but I'm not going to reply to you. If people have taken time to to write something on a on a C-suite post, a CEO post, then reply because otherwise you don't have to reply to them all, but you should reply to some. On the more sophisticated level, you can start tallying up your executive activity on platforms like LinkedIn to talent metrics. So you can start to look at traffic driven to the website, traffic driven to the talent page, the recruitment page, job applicants through LinkedIn. You can look at conversion rates of those applicants. So you can start to look at correlation between activating your executives and how that's impacted your talent metrics over time. And it will be over time. But to do that, you need to get those base metrics now before you start activating your executives. So you need to know what do they look like now and has activating our executives on LinkedIn had an impact? Can we see a correlation happening here? So yeah, they would be some of the, from the very basic to some of the more sophisticated that we've seen. So understanding where you are and where you want to go are the keys in that message. But what would be the three key recommendations that you would provide our listeners who may want to start their own leadership advocacy program? There are a few things that you should do. So the first thing is find leaders that are ready. Now, by ready, I don't mean that they've got an amazing profile already and, you know, but the ones that understand the value, but don't know where to start because you could spend a lot of time and energy convincing leaders of the value unless they're tuned into it, unless they don't understand why they're doing it, it's going to be really difficult and it will impact the results that you get. So I would, I always think, you know, you should work work with the ones that already mentally they've already connected with the value and they see the importance of it because they will they will help accelerate the progress. So that would be the first one I would suggest. So the way you can do that, which is my second uh, recommendation, is you can start to benchmark. So benchmark your C-suite against your competitive set. How are your competitors doing? Are they better, just as good or worse than what you're doing? So look at quantitative, look at qualitative metrics. So really understand how they're doing and put that in front of your C-suite because that can have a massive impact. We've seen it time and time again when we do it with customers. This is something we do all the time. So we we look and it's like, you can see these guys are doing something and you're not there and you need to be there. So that can help find people that are willing to do it. The, fir- the third thing I would say is work with comfort and confidence levels because it's always about don't try and push them too fast because you will scare them away and it will impact the success of the program. So you really need to understand, okay, they're willing but where are they at? They don't have a great profile. Their network's quite low. They don't have any profile. So you work and you adjust the program depending on where they're at today and you move at their pace. You don't run in an executive right from the start, launch their profile, get them on a LinkedIn live next week. Don't do that. You do not do that. So you've got to start running at their pace and help build the comfort and confidence level over time. And that will be different for every executive. And that is why you can't do one size fits all for everyone. So... Fantastic recommendations. Uh, thank you. But we've almost come to the end of our podcast. And I had, so Sarah, I had just one final question that I enjoy asking all of our guest experts and Masters of Comms. Would you mind sharing with us the title of a book or a film that had a significant 
impact on you recently and why? How I've read, I read lots. I, I, I listen to books actually on Audible when I go to the gym. So it's a hard one, this. There are a couple, I would say, business book wise. Well, not business book wise. The Midnight Library uh, is absolutely brilliant. That's a novel, but it's a powerful one that talks about, you know, decisions in life and how that can impact what you do and gratitude, basically. So that's a really good one. I love that book. But there are a couple of business books that I've read a Beautiful Constraint, which is fabulous. It talks, there are three types of, they say people, but then they say it's behaviors, actually. Three types of behaviors. There are, if a constraint is put in the way, there are some people it's like, oh, we can't do that. Let's reduce the goal. Let's not, let's move away from this. Then there's the others, which is like, no, we'll go for the goal, but we'll do it differently. And there are others that will look at that restraint, that constraint and say, do you know what? I reckon we could beat that if we do things radically differently. So a beautiful constraint is looking at constraints in a different light. Not as a limiting factor, but as a motivating factor. So I love that one. And another one is Atomic Habits. I love this book. It's all about introducing, getting rid of negative habits, but introducing positive habits. And it talks about habit stacking. So if you want to start doing yoga, tie it in with something that you really enjoy. So maybe I'm going to treat myself to a coffee after I've done my yoga routine. So it's all about introducing habits over time in in little ways. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant book. Yeah, I read lots of books. Fantastic. Atomic Habits, Beautiful Constraint, Midnight Library, all that should be in our libraries. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Lamar. This has been Masters of Comms, the podcast for transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. Follow us here to get the next episode. See you soon.